Let's turn there to Matthew 6, if you've got a Bible or an app, something like that. Matthew 6, that was my seat that I just... (laughs) Or was it Joseph's seat? Okay, good thing Joseph wasn't in it. All right. Uh, Matthew 6, we're going to be in verses 5 through 18 today. Don't get too excited, I'm moving faster as we work our way through, um, through the book of Matthew. Um, and if you are joining us, that's what we've been doing. We've been working our way through the book of Matthew since uh, Christmas of last year. Um, and we find ourselves at, in the middle of chapter 6 today, all of which is really tied to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew 5. So it's, it's really one, it's one cohesive um, uh, sermon, all relating back to the thesis of the Beatitudes back in, in chapter 5. So if you go back to the Beatitudes, what you'll see in Matthew 5 there is that um, Jesus is applying values. He's applying the core values of people who claim to be Christians, people who are citizens of the kingdom of God. The Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12, they are the core values of who Jesus' followers are. Are. And then through verses 21 to the end of chapter 5, Jesus applies those core values to all of our relationships. Okay, So people who are empty of self, who are conscious of their own brokenness, who are humble and merciful and want to see goodness in the world, those are people through the rest of chapter 5 who... Uh, see all the heart problems in their relationships. They do the gospel heart work to fight anger, to fight lust, to fight for their marriage, to speak the truth, to endure insults, to love their enemies, etc. Okay? The reason you practice Matthew 5, 21 through 48 is because you have the values of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. That's how the Beatitudes impact your relationships. And now in chapter 6, we're getting to the place where these values impact the practice of your religion. Christians in a relationship with Jesus, but that that relationship is expressed through practices of faith. But those practices of faith are informed and shaped by those values and the Beatitudes. Okay. Um, And Kevin hit the first one really well two weeks ago um, with regard to giving. In verses 1 through 4, okay? So we are not to give to the poor in such a way that makes much of us in our giving. We don't give to the poor in a way that makes much of us in our giving. So if you're going to parade your piety as a Christian, then you are torpedoing the possibility of any payoff. Um, your motive for giving cannot be the praise of others if the Beatitudes are true about your life. That's the point of Matthew 6, 1 through 4, okay? It doesn't mean that you don't keep track of your giving, okay? It doesn't mean that you are irresponsible with your stewardship. Oh, I think I'll write a check that I can't cover today for the poor. Like, it it doesn't mean any of that, right? It just means that that when you give, it's not about you, okay? You don't need your name on the on the bricks for the building. You don't, you don't need, I'm just kidding, Amanda, about that. That's about Isaiah 17. I'm, okay. You understand. The practical part of this is it's you're not giving so that your name, so that you can be known as the one who bought that brick. It's very different, right? And you're going to see the same thing applied today when it comes to fasting, 
and to praying. So let's stand together and we're going to read Matthew 6, 5 through 18 together. All right. When you pray, whenever you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may, you may be seated. If you're a negative person, this is a great text. If you're a positive person, this is a great text. And what I mean by that is if, you're, if, you, like to be, be, if you like to be told what to do by being told what not to do, this is a great text for you. If you like being told what to do by being told what to do, like just tell me what to do, this is a great text for you to do because Jesus is using both of those things. So we're going to talk about how the values of the Beatitudes inform your practice of prayer. And Jesus does this by saying, well, don't do it this way, do it this way. And he does both of these for both for prayer and for fasting. And we're going to start with fasting because it's the one that none of us are probably ever going to do, if we're being honest. Okay? Look at verses 16 through 18 first. Jesus says... Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting, fasting so is obvious to people. And I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is sees in secret will reward you. Now, without some of the cultural context... Some of, these, some of this may not make much sense. So let me, um, let me give you some point of references so that you can understand why oil and washing your face and all those kinds of things matter when it comes to the practice of fasting. So in Jesus' day, um, there was rainy season and there's dry season in this, in this environment. And so during the dry season, when it's not raining very much, just during the dry season, a lot of the most pious people of Jesus' day would fast, and by fasting, I mean from food and from water, 
two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays, okay? So if you're impressed when you think through that, you should be, okay? Because that was the goal, for, for, to be known as the person who took their piety to such an extreme that during the entire dry season, 24 hours on the Monday, 24 hours on the Thursday, not only did I not take any food in, I also did not take any water. And you can just begin to think through in your mind the physical result of that kind of fasting in the dry season, right? You would have all of the signs of dehydration. Dark circles under your eyes, dry skin, dry scalp, itchy skin, lines and wrinkles, all the beauty problems that come, right, with dehydration. So if you really wanted to get the admiration of others, not only would you commit to this fast, but you would refrain from relieving your body of all the symptoms of dehydration. You wouldn't do it because you wanted people to recognize that you were the girl, you were the guy. Imagine you were the one who was so pious and you wanted them to recognize that. And Jesus says, you don't want to fast in this way. We want to apply the Beatitudes to our religious practice of the fast. And if you're going to do that, we don't want to make it about us. We want to make it about the one that we're actually fasting for to find our dependence and find our satisfaction. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to take some oil and we're going to dump it onto our heads. And what would that do? Well, it would relieve all the dry skin and the itchy scalp and all the, you know, I, when Holly and I were, were younger in our, in our marriage, we did foster care and we had two African-American kids for a year and a half. And let me tell you, ashiness is a thing. Like they would just, it would just, they would be chafe all over their bodies all summer. Like I was like, oil, coconut oil, all kinds of stuff, just all over their bodies all the time. This is what Jesus is saying you should do. All the signs of fasting, we don't want the world to know about it so that we can get glory and satisfaction of being known as a pious faster. We're going to take the steps necessary to not even draw any attention to it, even as we actually practice the fast. So we'll do the fast. We'll do the fast. But we're going to do it in a way that better ensures that we're not doing it to get glory, not to be known as a faster, right? But to actually find our satisfaction, our dependence on God. And if you're going to find your satisfaction, your dependence on God in your fasting, then we're going to take the steps necessary to protect our ego being fed by being known as a faster. Um, one of the things that I have come to, to realize about social media is that it is, uh, it's marketing, right? That it is putting on a facade. And one of the ways that you can put on a facade through things like Instagram is you can put a filter on any of your photographs, right? And have you noticed that all of the filters, except for the ones that are like crazy, that make your eyes like this, or make, you know, like, or like, like there's some sort of funhouse mirror, all of the filters make you look better. Your skin is suddenly perfect when you wipe on or wipe off the, the, the filter, right? There is no fasting filter. <laughs> there is no filter that makes you look dehydrated and gaunt. I looked for it. You can't, there, I couldn't find it, right? There's not one. But during Jesus' day, religious piety was the form of social influence. And they wanted to look 
like they were practicing their faith in order to get praise of others for it. Okay. This has not disappeared. Once you find your niche, once you find your people group, the temptation to be known as somebody who is really awesome within that people group doesn't go away just because it's a people of faith. So we, need to be, we, want, to be, we want to be careful. And this applies to prayer as well. So with fasting, Jesus is addressing the manner in which we fast. He doesn't address the substance of fasting. He doesn't get, say, when you fast, now make sure you also fast from water. And you know, the, he doesn't, the juicing is fine. He doesn't get into all that. He doesn't get into the substance. He just gets into the manner. But when it comes to prayer, Jesus gets involved in the manner and the substance, the method and the content. Okay, look at verse uh, 5, and he talks here about manner. Jesus says in verse 5, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, here's the manner, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, says Jesus, they have their reward. So here's what's going on in verse 5. Jesus has you and I picture a man or woman for that case, but in, in, his, in his context, almost certainly a man, on his way to the temple just to pray. On his way, I've, it's time to pray. I'm going to go to the temple to pray. And this man becomes so anxious to give the impression that he is such a pious person that he cannot wait to get to the temple. So he stops at the street corner and prays out loud. And when he does finally make it into the temple, he goes right to the most prominent place in the temple and stands in the public environment and prays out loud. Okay. Which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's like, who would do that? Like, it, who, who would do that? You know, a man who prays like this isn't thinking about God or making much of God or enjoying God or repenting before God or listening to God or asking God about anything at all. This is a person using the opportunity to commune with God to actually receive admiration and accolades from humans. This is a person that's actually worshiping humans, namely himself. In other words, there is a difference between someone who wants to be a prayer warrior or someone who actually is a prayer warrior and someone who wants to be known as a prayer warrior. It is great to be a prayer warrior. It's great to be known as a prayer warrior. It is not great to be chiefly interested in being known as a prayer warrior. Because if you are first or chiefly interested in being known as a prayer warrior, your only logical next step is to pray in such a way that people see you praying like a prayer warrior. You wouldn't even have a private prayer life because no one would see it. And if no one's going to see it, what's the point in doing it? Because what I'm really interested in is being known as such, not actually being 
such. Right? So we're just having Sunday school here. And we had the best classes. I mean, we had a, did we not have a great class? Who was in my class? Our class was awesome this morning. Your class stunk, I assure you, <laughs> because our class was awesome. I mean, we quoted Will Rogers, Robin Williams, George Carlin, Homer Simpson, and Jesus. I mean, we got all of the people. Like, it was a great conversation. And at one point, I commented, we should have a podcast because we're great. This conversation is amazing. We should have a podcast. In other words, we should be known as people who have a great Sunday school class more than we actually have a great Sunday school class. Right? Some of you have conversations with a friend. You're like, oh, we're so, we're so, we're have such great banter. We should start a podcast. You're not actually being friends interested in that anymore. You want people to know that you have a great friendship. This is what Jesus is describing when it comes to prayer. It's not great to be chiefly interested in being known as a prayer warrior. And if we're not careful... We will look to such a person as a model for prayer because, again, that's what they want you to do is look to them as a model for prayer. And in the end, you end up modeling someone who is actually worshiping themselves and not God. That's verse 5. That's the, that, that's the danger of prayer. And so Jesus offers this alternative in verse 6. He says, so when you pray, go into your private room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So by emphasizing secrecy, Jesus is pushing you and I to focus on intimacy with God, not being consumed with looking like we have an intimacy with God. In prayer, you really are in the presence of God of the universe. And so Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer meetings or prohibiting public prayer. His point is that prayer is about God, not anything or anyone else around us, and then certainly not about ourselves. So whatever we need to do to shut everything else out and be in the presence of God and experience that intimacy and that fellowship, do that. Do that. So we don't want to take away from verse 6 that the only proper manner of prayer is one that is literally in a private room that no one ever should see you go into and pray. That's not the point. The point is that we don't fall prey to the temptation to be known as a person of prayer more than we actually are a person of prayer who enjoys the presence of God. See the difference? I hope you see the difference. This is really important. So we want to take the steps to have that intimacy. But there is another danger with prayer and idolatry and wanting to be known as a person of prayer, or about wanting people to know that you are a person of prayer. But verses 7 and 8 are about wanting God to know that you're a person of prayer. Verses 5 and 6 is about impressing people and having their admiration. Verses 7 or 8 is about impressing God and having His admiration. Look, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Now, I find it absolutely fascinating that the Jews particularly the Pharisees and the scribes, that's when Jesus says hypocrites, 
That's what he's talking about. Okay. The Jews, the Pharisees and the scribes, possessed a prayer book, the Psalms, and they had access to God by virtues of their calling as God's people. Yet they were more interested in impressing man in verse 5 and 6. And in verse 7, this, there's a contrast with Gentiles who were not yet called by God and didn't have a prayer book or a prayer guide to know what to say, but they are the ones who want to impress God. Yet this desire to impress God manifested itself in long-winded, flowery, hyper-religious language that actually was doing the opposite of what it intended. In trying to impress God with their many words, they were talking to God like he wasn't God, right? Like he didn't know everything that they needed to be talking about with him already. So in trying to impress, they were patronizing him effectively. And so Jesus teaches here uh, the alternative. Now, I, I, it, it could be that you feel like verses 5 and 6, probably because the way I've preached it, which, you know, the manner in which I preach isn't written in my notes. Like, I don't have red for yelling and green for laughing. Like, I don't, it just starts coming out. So I, I apologize if this is the case. It, it could feel like a rebuke. Uh, it, verses 5 through 8 could feel like a rebuke, and maybe it needs to be a rebuke for you, but I don't think that's necessarily Jesus' intent per se. I think that Jesus' intent in verses 5 through 8 right here is less rebuke, and he's more giving relief. Like, because, look, let's be honest. Practicing our faith in giving and fasting and praying is hard. Isn't it hard? It's hard. And we, we, there, there's this compulsion to want to do it a certain way and certain right, and maybe we're supposed to be known. I mean, it's, it's, it can be a burden, and I think what Jesus is doing, he's less rebuking, although there's an element of that, but he's more giving relief. Like, there's good news here about prayer. Here's some good news, Rob. You don't have to worry about what people think when you're praying. You don't need to be worried about your reputation or, your, or anything like that when it comes to prayer. Hey, God, Rob, here's some really good news. Prayer is not a performance for people, and it's also not a performance for God. That's really good news, isn't it? That's great news about prayer. It's about intimacy. And so then, Jesus, so Jesus, after relieving that burden, bringing a bit of a rebuke and bringing a relief, he says, so let me just tell you how to do this. This is all, this is the, this is all you really need to know, and that's verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and don't bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Let me break this down for you really quickly into five components. This is not everything about prayer. Jesus is not, this is not the only way to pray. This is not everything about prayer we have the Psalms, we have Paul's prayer, we have all kinds of stuff in the, in the Bible about prayer. This is not everything, but Jesus, remember, is setting this up as an alternative to the babbling of the Gentiles. Don't think that this is a performance. I know God is holy, I know God is sovereign, and I know God is just, so you aren't going to God in prayer to impress. You are going to God 
to enjoy. You're going to God for fellowship and for intimacy. He already knows everything you are supposed to say or going to say or need to say. So the pressure is off. Just bring this to God because of who God is. Number one, our. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say, my. He says, our father, not my father. This is important because our personal prayers that are, that are, in my case, they are mine, but they are not about me. By saying our father instead of my father, Jesus is reminding us that our prayer needs to reflect the corporate unity, the corporate desires, and the corporate needs of the entire congregation that we are a part of and Christian kingdom at large, not just our own. Our desires and our needs need to be wrapped up in the desires and needs of the church and the kingdom of God as a whole. It's never just you. It's always us. Our. Number two, our Father in heaven. Jesus' point is that we should begin our prayers under the weight of recognizing God for who he is. If you just use the life, you could just use the life of Jesus through the gospel, through the gospels as a way of coming to, to get this. If you just take an honest assessment of Jesus' life, knowing that God is directly his father, you would conclude that Jesus has a pretty awesome father. <laughs> just read the gospel, story of Jesus. The father was, it was, was perfect. He had an amazing father. And that's your father. You want to know how your life's going to go? Read the life of Jesus. You're going to follow him. You're going to have the same father as him. He's going to provide all the same things that he provided for Jesus. He is your father. And he's your father in heaven, which means he is holy and he's sovereign. He's just. He's the king of the universe. When you pray, pray collectively in continuity with uh, the community of the faith. And pray to a holy, sovereign, just dad. And you can see how he's going to guide you just by looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Number three, your name be honored and holy. I, it's, hard, it's so hard for me not to say hallowed be your name, okay? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very first thing that you pray for in your prayer, from addressing God as he is and making much of God for who he is, the priority is this, right? What Jesus wants us to understand is that my circumstances, our conditions, our responsibilities, our needs, all of which is coming in this prayer, they cannot be understood correctly if we don't see them correctly in the light of who God actually is. So you want to put that in your mind. Declare it to be true because it is true. He, you, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before our needs or the needs of others, there must always be this chief concern about the glory of God because it's not about us, it's about Him. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the first thing out of our mouth in our prayers as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So on earth, is it, what does that mean? You and I have, Christians have, an already not yet um, mentality about the times that we live in right now, okay? 
in one sense, the kingdom of God is already here because Jesus has come. The atonement has been made, death has been defeated, and he reigns at a heavenly throne. So in one sense, right, the kingdom is already come because Jesus has been here and he's done his thing. But there is a day that has yet to come, obviously, when his kingdom will be established permanently in a new heaven and a new earth. So it's a not yet. There's an already and there's a not yet. There's an already and there's a not yet. So this part of the prayer, what Jesus is saying is this. We need to have a great longing and a, and a heavy desire that the kingdom of God and of Christ keeps going. It's already real. It keeps going into this point where it's going to come to the point of finish. So we, we, he wants us to live rightly in this tension that it's already, but it's not yet. It's already, it's not yet. So we pray for the success of the gospel through the church. We pray for per, the progress in our own hearts to, to love and cherish Jesus more and the awareness of our sin and the holiness of God and all that kind of good stuff. And the result of, of that is the coming of the kingdom of God to this world until he brings it back. That's what we're praying for. It's a very powerful prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You've won and you're going to win. Make it so. John Luke Picard, make it so. That's the prayer. And then we have these last three petitions. Bread, forgiveness, and temptation. Okay? That's, that's the all-inclusive list. Okay? you want to go to an all-inclusive spiritual resort, this is it. Got you covered. Okay? You're to pray for your essential provisions. Not give thanks for your essential provisions. That's not what Jesus says here, although we want to do that too. He says pray for. That does not take Aldi for granted. The pandemic helped a little bit, right? When you couldn't get toilet paper. Right? All of a sudden there were other options. It's like you were camping, you know. You did, we didn't take anything for granted. Like well, nothing. We don't know what this thing is going to do. Every day, Lord, would you give us groceries? We, we, we went on vacation last week, and on our way to vacation, we stopped at Sam's and, and spent way too much money on all kinds of just granola bars and snack mix and cereal and all that, because we're feeding six children, because we, we had some friends come along with us and, and, and the two of us, and it's vacation, so it's like, hey, let's go to another house and just eat all day. Like, that was, that's vacation. You know? <laughs> And it's so true. And, and, but we didn't eat it all, and we brought back a trunk full of stuff. And so I was unloading the trunk, and, put, and I literally couldn't fit everything into the pantry. Like, it was, I couldn't even close, the, I had to reorganize all stuff, throw some stuff away, because it probably had gone bad, you know, but I whatever. Like, and I sent a text to Holly, I said, we are forbidden from buying chips, Snack mixes, granolas, cereals, nuts, dried fruit, or any sauce of any kind for 60 days. We are forbidden. When your pantry looks like that, it is not easy to get up in the morning and say, Lord, would you please provide some food today? It's just tough. But we're to do that. We're to pray for healthy, reconciled relationships with others. The same fellowship and the intimacy that we have with God, we are to pray for with man. 
And the pathway to that fellowship is intimacy and forgiveness. That's, that's, the, that's the pathway. The only way to actually have intimacy and fellowship with God is to be forgiven, which he handled. The only way to have intimacy and fellowship, genuine intimacy and fellowship with another person, is for there to always be forgiveness between the two of you. Verse 14 and 15. Let me explain that one to you, he says, because I know you're going to struggle with this one. If you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Not your, this is not about salvation. This is about intimacy and about fellowship. But if you don't forgive others, your Father won't forgive you. There's a relationship between your intimacy with God and your intimacy with other men. And the, the relationship is hinging on forgiveness. Forgiveness, which is different than reconciliation. Forgiveness, you have to pay the price to be in that relationship. Did you ever see the movie Sandlot? Yes. Smalls, right? Small. He's such a moron to baseball, such a moron to so many things, right? And they, and so finally, it's like, you're, here's the phrase, you're killing me, Smalls. No, that's what forgiveness is. Somebody doing something that crosses you and it kills you a little bit every time. And you got to pay the price to continue in intimacy and fellowship with them. And the degree to which you do that in your relationships is, is going to have a bearing on the degree to which you have that with the Lord. So, Lord, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation. Lord, don't ever lead us into a situation when we're liable to be tempted by Satan so that our fellowship with you will be broken. Help us treasure intimacy with you so much that and keep us, keep us from a place where that could be threatened. So this all goes back to the Beatitudes. People who are empty of self, aware of their sin, and the sin in this world, who are meek and humble in their relationships, etc., 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 they don't practice their faith in a way that makes much of them. They practice their faith in such a way that makes much of God. They don't practice their faith in a way that cultivates superficial, performance-based, influencer-type relationships, but it's a way that cultivates genuine intimacy and fellowship with God and man. That's what we do. So we're going to give to those in need, but we don't need anybody else to know about it. We're going to fast to cultivate your need for God, but we don't need anybody else to know about it. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray like the pressure is off to perform for man or God because it is. We're going to pray in full recognition that God is building a kingdom through his church and that we are not lone wolf Christians. We're going to pray like God is sovereign and holy and just and that he knows everything that we need to be saying anyway long before we do. And we're going to pray that the world comes to understand just how great and wonderful God is. And we're going to pray for our essentials and our relationships and our walk and our fellowship with God. And if we just do that, the pressure off my the intimacy and the fellowship we would have with one another and with God and the influence we would have in this world let's pray well, father you are our, you are dad but you're our father in heaven and so we um, you've done all the work <laughs> in giving us right standing and fellowship with you so we don't need to impress we do want to honor you. Your, your great love for us demonstrated in your son. We, 
we stand in, in holy reverence and love and fear for what you did and who you are. And we know you're going to win because you won on the cross and in the resurrection. And you're sitting on your heavenly throne and we know that you're coming. We believe it with all of our heart. And so in the meantime, would you make the realities of your kingdom ever, ever present in this world and use us to bring it about? To do that, we're going to need some basics. We ask you to provide them. We ask that you would provide the same intimacy and fellowship that we have with you, that you would give that to us in our friendships and in the people that we do life together with and that we come to know and that we do that through forgiveness. It's inevitable that we wrong somebody and they wrong us. Help us bring the gospel to bear through forgiveness. And keep us, Lord, keep us on that path, one that reveres and loves you and is intimate with you, and one in which we have those, that same kind of relationships with one another. Keep us, keep us on that path. This is our prayer as a church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.